Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. We're riding into the future and we're going to ride it on a bike today. Oh my goodness gracious. Welcome, 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 welcome. Have I got a show for you and I'm going to try to not sing my first buzz quote, but I'm going to. And it came from one of my panelists, Donna Maturo Mackler, sent me this and I stole the quote, Donna. So here's the quote. Everybody sing along. Bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride it where I like. Queen, I apologize. I have buzz quote number two from Jens Voigt, a German former professional road bicycle racer. When my legs hurt, I say, shut up, legs. Do what I tell you to do. That's a bike quote. And here's the third quote from Dr. K.K. Doty, a 19th century New Yorker and bicycling evangelist. He said, cyclists see considerably more of this beautiful world than any other class of citizens. A good bicycle well applied will cure most ills this flesh is heir to. Isn't that a beautiful quote? So let me give you a little history. There's somebody named German Baron Carl von Drais, D-R-A-I-S. He is create, he's credited as being the father of the bicycle. He created a steerable two-wheel contraption in 1817. How long ago was that? Known as the Velocipede, the Hobby Horse, the Drazine after his name and the running machine. The bicycle, as we know, is self-propelled. It's human power. It's a mode of active transportation. I'm not going to go into any more, but I'm going to tell you my wonderful panelists are, as I mentioned, Donna Maturo-McAleer, Executive Director of the Bicycle Collective. Donna, wave to everybody. And I met Donna on a show a few months ago about the future of women in the military. And Donna is one of those ladies. And I said, what do you do? And she told me I'm with the Bicycle Collective. She'll tell us what she does. And I said, biking would be a great topic. So Donna, thank you for inviting the others and putting this together. Terry Newell, raise and wave, please. Deputy Director for Planning and Investment for the Utah Department of Transportation. That sounds like an exciting job, Terry. Welcome. Hugh Van Wagenen, active, will you wave? Active Transportation Planner with the Wasatch Front Regional Council in Utah. We're going to find all about what you do. And Maria Vias. V-Y-A-S-A-I-C-P. She'll tell us what she does, a senior partner with Fair and Pierce. And I'm going to ask them for their take on the future of active transportation and the biking boom. So welcome. I'm Bonnie in the house. Happy to be here. This is the future of now technology revolution. And let's see how much we actually talk about technology. So Donna, I'm thrilled to have you back. I know you're a very busy lady, very smart, very active. Your bio impressed me incredibly when I met you on the Women in Military show. And I just wanted you to come back on any topic, actually. So here we are. Donna, I'm going to put you on full speaker view. Would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself, refresh the memory of my global listeners, my viewers, who you are, what you do, and what is your passion for biking? Donna, welcome. Thanks so much, Bonnie. So appreciate this opportunity. And to everybody out there, happy Bike Month. May is National Bike Month in the U.S., so all of us are thrilled to be here. I am currently the executive director of a Utah-based nonprofit called the Bicycle Collective. And our mission is to promote cycling as an effective and sustainable, affordable 
form of transportation and recreation and the cornerstone of a healthier society. And we do this by providing refurbished and repaired bicycles and educational programs to the community, focusing on a whole spectrum of individuals, in income eligible families, newly arrived refugees, people coming out of substance abuse, people experiencing housing insecurity, and especially youth. And so our organization is all about reducing, reusing, recycling, and getting people on bicycles, a self-reliant form of transportation, adventure, escape, and freedom. Donna, I love it. I don't think we think about it as sharing an opportunity to be self-propelled mobile to different parts of our society, of our culture around the world. I like that. Donna, just quickly, how did you get into biking? Did you, did you have three bikes when you were a, a little kid? What, what, how did biking first get into your life? Just a little background. Wow. I remember I was young in high school, maybe in, in my freshman year in high school. I mean, I had learned to ride a bike. Um, I think like every many youth, it's a kind of a passage of learning that balance point. And I bought my first bike with my first job when I was a freshman in high school. And it was a yellow rally with black trim. Um, it was a 10 speed, kind of a classic. Ironically, one of them just came into one of the shops a few weeks ago. And then by the time I was a senior, I was able to upgrade to a motor Bacan road bike. Um, I myself only have two. I have a road bike, which is a specialized Ollie, and I have a mountain bike, which is a specialized stump jumper. Both are almost 20 years old. Um, I'd like to upgrade to new technology. But um, it's hard when you can keep a bike working and you can't get new bikes right now. And the refurbished bikes that we're putting on the shelf, they are flying out the door. So um, any bike you have, you can continue to work on and repair and refurbish. We've got some classics in the shop. And really, you know, this last year and a half has been amazing for the bike industry and cycling as a whole which has in the US really, I think, um, accelerated active transportation mm -hmm. as a topic. We're a little bit behind so many other parts of the world. Amsterdam, Amsterdam cycling is the primary transportation method. Thank you, Donna. And I remember my dad teaching me how to ride a two-wheel bike in the driveway of our house on Long Island in Massapequa, if anybody knows Long Island. I remember that long driveway, and he would get me started, and then he'd let go, and he wouldn't tell me. And I remember once I got started on the bike, I actually asked him for paint, and I painted it pink and blue. I have no idea why, but I, that's just the way I wanted to decorate my bike. Nothing fancy or special. Thank you, Donna. Let's move around the table to your esteemed guests who are all invited by Donna. Terry Newell, looking forward to getting getting to know you. Would you please introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do, what your role is, and what's your passion, and when did you get your first bike? Let's go back in time. Terry. Okay, great. I work for Utah Department of Transportation, and our mission is to enhance the quality of life through transportation. So with biking definitely being a part of that. Um, my first bike I got was, I would say, a little bit manipulative on my part. I was trying to help my grandpa who was trying to build a garage and I wanted to move the wheelbarrow of sand and I tipped it over and he was a little upset with me. So I ran and hid in a tree and I wouldn't come out of the tree until he promised me he was going to buy me a bicycle. 
So I was four years old and uh, got my first bike at four years old. And I would say that's kind of been an interesting journey. I had a red 10-speed Schwinn when I was in high school. And then um, the next big bike event in my life was um, on a bike ride with my husband. He asked me to marry him, and it was going up a steep hill, so I couldn't answer because I was out of breath. And then ultimately, (laughs) instead of having a diamond engagement ring, I got a Gary Fisher mountain bike instead of an engagement ring, which we still have the Gary Fisher mountain bike. My daughter rides it now. And so that's, you know, no, no diamond ring, but I have a Gary Fisher mountain bike. So that's my, that's my bike history. Terry, I love the backstories, Donna. This is just amazing. When I do shows about cars, I ask people, especially when I have females in the automotive industry, I ask them, when did you get your first car? And were you one of those girls whose father or uncle or brother taught you how to change the oil in something in the driveway? And it's always interesting to hear how old they were and when they got involved in automotive. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear this part of your backstories. Terry, thank you. And uh, I think you got a good deal on the ring versus the bike. I really do. So, you know, who needs a diamond? What can I tell you? Yeah, they just go in the vault eventually. Hugh Van Wagen, and so happy to have you here. Hugh, I only know about you through the bio you sent me, and I'd love to hear what you do, who you are, and what's your bike story. Hugh, welcome. Yeah, thanks, thanks Bonnie. I got to say, it's, it's great to be here uh, with you today and with Terry and Donna and Maria. I mean, just an, an awesome group here, uh, so really appreciate it. So I do work for the Wasatch Front Regional Council, as you mentioned, as an active transportation planner. Um, WDFRC is the acronym. And we really try and act as a convener between transportation agencies in the greater Salt Lake City region. And my uh, job specifically is to try and make it easier for people to bike and walk, uh, you know, as a primary means of transportation. And, you know, as a child, certainly had bikes growing up. um, But I think my real uh, love affair, if I can use the term, started when I got a a Schwinn road bike um, when I was just in uh, 22 or something like that and did a California coast uh, unsupported bike tour with a handful of friends. So we rode from the Northern California border to San Diego uh, over about three weeks, um, just carried all our gear with us, camped along the way, met some incredible people. um, And I think the best thing about it was waking up and the only thing I had to worry about was, you know, the next whatever 50 or 80 miles that day. Um, And it was just a wondrous experience and uh, certainly experience that whole uh, stretch of coast much differently than I would have if I was driving it and took the time and just experience everything. So um, that's what got me started and, um, you know, just been sort of a a big promoter of bicycles in all forms uh, for a long, long time. I have to say, I do have a Gary Fisher also uh, in my garage and it was uh, my friends in junior high school. And so it's been going for a long time and still has some life in it. So yeah, bikes um, can certainly last a long time and excited to talk about uh, where they're going in the future with the rest of you. Thank you, Hugh. And you just gave a testimonial for the quote, my buzz quote number three from Dr. K.K. Doty. A good bicycle well-applied will cure most ills, but cyclists see considerably more of this beautiful world than any other class of citizens. That's a strong statement, class, meaning you're either in the bike riding group or you're not. That's an interesting class of citizens. We, we won't go there. We have too many classes to deal with already. Thank you, you. Such a pleasure to get to know you. And Maria Vias, welcome. I would love to hear who you are. What do you do? What's your love of bicycles? And talk to us. Maria, welcome. 
Thanks, Bonnie. This is such a great opportunity. So I am a transportation consultant. I've been doing this for about 23 years, and I work for a firm called Fair and Peers. And our work is really focused on improving communities through helping people have more transportation options. And that means we do a lot of things, but a lot of the work that I do is focused on making communities better places for people to walk and to bike. And so I actually, I work with Terry and I work with Hugh and, you know, it's, it's like a fun little group of people here that we all are sort of connected together. Um, I got into biking. Actually, I'm different from everybody here. Like our family was not into biking or doing anything like physical at all. Really. We mostly read books. We were book people. Um, but when I graduated from high school, I met a man who would become my husband who was a big mountain biker and we're here in Utah and there are so many mountains and so many incredible desert trails and, and great places to to explore and so he kind of taught me how to mountain bike and then in college I was like I had been studying um, classical music that's a whole other podcast but um, I learned that there was a thing called urban planning where you could like design bicycle and pedestrian trails and I'm like okay that sounds like a fun career um, and so I started doing that and realizing, like, this is really kind of fun and awesome. And then uh, my husband actually got cancer and died, and we have a son oh. together. And I, I kind of felt like it is my role to pass that passion for biking from his father onto the child. And so I have kind of, you know, I'm lucky to be able to have this kind of work in my professional life, but also to have this experience of like, okay, kiddo, we're going to get on this bike and we're going to ride. And yeah, I know you don't love this climb right now. And I know we're stuck in a sand trap, but you know, this is, this is part of the experience and you're going to, you're going to rally your way through it. Thank you, Maria. I, I'm going to say something very, very hackneyed, but thank you for sharing your story. Um, appreciate it. And yeah, bikes, anything like that, a passion and activity and exercise can be passed along from generation to generation. I have, I know people who were doing, uh, building little go-karts back in the day, and they passed that along to their children who became racers at the age of 10 and 12. Uh, I actually have friends. I, can, I spent many years living in Great Neck, Long Island, New York, and I know the person who who has been on my TV show talking about bikes years ago, who started a bike ride through Great Neck that attracted people from all over the world. And he actually talked the mayor into closing down the streets of this, shall we say, retail specific community. <laughs> it's all stores and closing down the streets and allowing these bike riders to come and go on a path through the whole area of Great Neck Plaza. For years, they did this. So I know people who've led bike rides on bike groups. I got up at 530 in the morning on Saturdays to go around parts of Long Island. And they they had beginning riders, middle level riders, longtime riders, and they paced their ride. So I'm familiar. I need to get back on a bike one of these days, Donna. I really do. Now is the time of, and thank you all for your sharing your stories. I appreciate it. Donna, now is the time where we go to the opening quotes. And for our listeners, in case you're new to the show, welcome. And I've asked my guests in advance to send a quote from a movie or a TV character, or a song that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic on the surface of it, literally, and then figuratively, I'm going to ask them why they picked it and what, in their words, it has to do with our topic. So Donna has picked a quote, actually, lyrics from Beautiful Day, a song by the Irish rock band U2, first track on the 10th studio album, All That You Can't Leave Behind from 2000. Okay, and here's the line. It's a beautiful day. Sky falls. You feel like it's a beautiful day. Don't let it get away. You're on the road, but you've got no destination. You're in the mud, in the maze of her imagination. Donna, I'm getting chills. Help me out here. How'd you find this beautiful lyric, and what does it have to do with bikes? It's 
on the top of, it's on every single one of my playlists and truly one of my favorite songs. But it's what I always think about when I get on a bike. And it's regardless of whether I'm going for a road ride or a mountain bike ride or using the bike share to go uptown. You, when you're riding a bike, as everybody here has talked about, you experience the natural world in a completely different way. You're not encased in steel and glass being in a car and you see things you don't see when you're in a car. You also have to watch out for things you don't need to watch out for in a car. Um, but it's a completely different interaction with the outside world. And it just makes me smile every time I get on a bike. Um, you know, I'm grateful to be on a bike and it's a great form of exercise. It's not only self-reliant transportation, it's a great mental break. I mean, it, it contributes to everything I think many of us are passionate about, about clean air, mm -hmm. about being active and getting exercise, taking that emotional and physical break. And this, I mean, I happen to have a crush on Bono, like probably half the other <laughs> half of the world, but those, those words to me are what I feel every time I get on a bike. And it, you know, the route I pick, I may decide to go on a different route because it's something I see. Thank you. Very interesting. Thank you, Donna. And thanks for the introduction to that song. I'm going to have to go listen to it. I did not listen to it first because I didn't want to put myself in the position of wanting to sing it. I did badly on the Queen song, Bicycle. So that's enough. Terry Newell has selected a song from the late Left Us Too Soon, Tom Petty from the song Wildflowers. And the line is, you belong among the wildflowers. Let me just read a little bit, Terry. You belong among the wildflowers. You belong in a boat out at sea, sail away, kill off the hours. You belong somewhere. You feel free. Terry, beautiful, beautiful lyrics. How did you find this? I assume you're a Tom Petty fan. And what does it have to do with our topic? Terry Newell. Uh, originally, I thought it wasn't supposed to do with the topic, but it's got amazing crossover. It crosses over with what Donna said. To me, that was a point when I moved out to Utah. I had lived on the East Coast, moved to Utah, picked up mountain biking on that Gary Fisher bike, and I was literally riding among the wildflowers, and it blew my mind that there was even such a thing. And then that whole idea of you can feel free, it's such a wonderful feeling to be on a bike and smile, or I think it applies to active transportation as well. We'll take people on that are normally sitting in an office and try to get them out on bikes or, or outside walking, biking to get somewhere and immediately smiles on their faces. We all talk about it. We even take our transportation commissioners who can sometimes have, I'll say this, very stuffy meetings and got them out on bicycles on a trail in Moab for a meeting, smiles just ear to ear, people were smiling and happy. And so that's what that song kind of embodies for me is that that feeling you get when you're outside using active transportation. So that, that just kind of conjures up that emotion for me. Beautiful. Thank you very much for the introduction to that song. Also glad I didn't sing that. Hugh Van Wagenen is rescuing me with a quote from a TV character. It is from the TV fantasy comedy series, The Good Place, created by Michael Schur, which started airing in the U.S. on 2017 on NBC TV. And this was spoken by the character Chitty Anagonye played by William Jackson Harper. The Good Place, if anybody's a fan, look up season two somewhere else. And here's the quote. I argue 
that we choose to be good because of our bonds with other people and our innate desire to treat them with dignity. Simply put, we are not in this alone. Ooh, got chills from that one. You talk to me. What does that have to do with our topic? Go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, thanks, thanks for reading it for me. I was afraid I was going to have to do it. Um, <laughs> You know, this, this uh, you know, in conjunction with, with Donna and Terry have said, you know, I really view uh, the bicycle as, uh, you know, one of the cures to many of the challenges we face as a society today. <laughs> it's not, not the be all end all by any means, but, um, you know, w- when people focus on using bicycles as transportation, the community and environments change around us. As been mentioned, we notice more things. Uh, we slow down. Our pace slows down. Uh, we have an opportunity to say hello to neighbors more often. Um, and we also stay locally with our commerce, you know, what we're doing. Um, and, you know, so there's, there's just a lot of things um, when we say, you know, we're all in this together is um, the bicycle has a role in, in improving society and improving quality of life. And I, I very much believe in that because I've experienced it myself just the other day. Um, I live around the corner from the Bicycle Collective in Provo, actually, and really grateful for that uh, business being there. And Kira Johnson, who's the manager there, sets up these community rides, you know, every week she's been doing for Bike Month. And uh, we got out and, you know, just meet all of these other people that are interested in in bicycling, not because they want to ride 100 miles or, you know, crest a peak, but because they enjoy it for its community benefits and, uh, you know, improving the environment around them. Uh, so again, this quote for me just just speaks to uh, how how bikes can really uh, benefit everybody, and that's even regardless if you don't ride a bicycle. Other people riding bikes um, are, are good for society at large. I like that. Thank you for expanding that benefit there. Appreciate it, you very much. Let's go to Maria VS. Maria sent us a quote from Wilco. The album is Summer Teeth, 1999, from 1999. The song is A Shot in the Arm. And uh, if anybody doesn't know, as I didn't, Wilco is an American alternative rock band. And let's see, the line is, what you once were isn't what you want to be anymore. Oh, Maria, that sounds very deep. Help me out here. Talk to me. Well, I think it applies on a couple of levels. I think that, you know, a lot of us have found ourselves in a stage of life where we're at a pivot point. You know, something in our life has changed. We're embarking on a new phase or, you know, some unexpected event has happened. And you have that opportunity to say, okay, I am going to do something different. I'm going to pivot. I'm going to approach life in a different way. I'm going to think a new way. Um, and, and what do I want to do? I don't have to be what I was before. Um, in terms of biking, I think a, a lot of our communities um, are, are realizing that the way that we have built ourselves to be really auto-centric and, you know, people really have to drive, there's no other choice, from point A to point B, from home to the store to school, whatever, maybe we don't want our communities to look like that anymore. Maybe we want to look at a different model and we want to think about how can we retrofit um, these communities that we live in so that they're, they're safer, friendlier, happier, more comfortable places for people to walk and bike and get to where they need to go. Um, in, in Salt Lake City, especially, which is where I live, um, Salt Lake City was developed with this history of having extraordinarily wide streets. The point being that in the 1840s and 50s, when the city was founded, they wanted to be able to turn a team of oxen completely around. So our streets are bananas wide. They're completely insane. Um, and sometimes that's great. And sometimes it's like, well, can we do something else here? Can we revamp some of this space? And so the city's kind of embarked on this 
this process of thinking about how do we reclaim that space, whether that's for more greening or for placemaking or for people walking and biking, but just we don't need to be doing things the way that we were before always. Thank you. And the world is in a, right now, Maria, good point. Do we need to be doing many things the way we did before, referencing the pandemic, the disruptions, the changes, looking at our lives? Who do we want to be? I see it as a pause, not a welcome one, a pause from a lot of things I was doing that my friends were doing. Maybe we were just staying too busy doing things we really don't need to continue doing. What do you want to do when life starts getting back to back in into, I call it the next normal, not the new normal, the next normal, something will appear, something will happen, will coalesce that we will say, ah, we're in an, another next normal because we're always going to be looking for something normal. But I'm getting poetic here. Now is the time to move to the predictions. Can't wait for these. I'm sending notes to my panelists, to my guests in the chat on where I want to go. So Donna, Maturo, McAleer, let's start with your prediction number one. And remember to my guests, I told you before the show, I'm just going to read a prediction, take about two to three minutes, expand it. If anybody has a comment on that, just wiggle your finger, teacher, teacher, call me, call me. I was only a teacher once teaching eBay, but I still consider myself a teacher. So Donna, here's prediction number one, the demand for bikes, parts, components, and service will remain durable through 2022. Shows about the future. You're certainly taking us there. Donna, go ahead. Well, as you mentioned, Bonnie, and as all our panelists have mentioned, how life is changing and the pandemic has really given us a once in a lifetime opportunity to rethink our transportation networks. And cycling has taken on a crucial role in this, right? And a sanity saving roles when gyms were closed and people were quarantining um, and looking for ways to get outside and be active, people started getting back on their bikes. They were buying new bikes. They were buying used bikes. They were fixing up old bikes and they were riding more than ever before, not only for recreation, but as an alternative to transportation. Unfortunately, during the pandemic, public transportation um, user went, usership went down. And it's something that has really been underscored. Cycling is a great way to stay active promote health while maintaining physical distance and enjoying the outdoors. So you had all these factors colliding along with the demand for affordable bikes. Um, most of the manufacturers, particularly specialized in Trek, had sold out of all their 2021 inventory within the first four months of 2020 and have sold out of most of their 22 inventory. Um, so it's, we're seeing this incredible surge and it's we've had trouble getting rubber and tubes tires mm -hmm. and tubes um we're fortunate in that we're a collective that um we have 20 years worth of parts in our shop across the state um we run four shops three along the wasatch front one in ogden provo and salt lake and one in saint george where we repair and refurbish bikes so we're seeing a huge increase in the demand for service and repair. Um, a lot of retail bike shops don't really work on older technology. So um, my recommendation is if you've got a bike and you're looking for a new bike, keep your current bike in good, usable, working shape. You know, check your drivetrains, ensure you got air in your tires, make sure you're properly lubed, check your pivots. 
um, because it's going to be hard getting a new bike here for the next couple of years. Well, that's an interesting prediction, Don. I have a question for you. Is there any competition with automotive for some of those parts you mentioned, like rubber? Uh, the automotive industry in the U.S. was shut down for, I think, 47 days, somewhere in the middle of 2020. Factory simply stopped working. And now there is a quest for all kinds of parts and batteries and all kinds of things. Are you in competition for parts with automotive in and any, any intersecting if we had a Venn well, diagram? There's really intersection with everything, Bonnie, because most frames are made of, I mean, the majority of frames are made of steel, aluminum, or carbon fiber on the high end. Most of those frames are manufactured overseas in okay. China and Taiwan. So, the, you know, the, trans, the whole transportation, worldwide transportation and shipping network mm -hmm. has been impacted as well, right? So mm -hmm. there's a, there is competition and demand in every sector. Um, I think you're going to hear some of our panelists talk about the growth of electric bikes, which is a whole new category of bikes we're seeing um, that are enabling access to longer distances, different places. Um, we're seeing it especially in cargo bikes. Cargo bikes are larger bikes that you can load up kids in, you can load up groceries in, you could put skis, you could put golf clubs, you could put a TV in. Um, those electric bikes have batteries, right? And there's electrical control units in those that, again, there's competition for those parts. So really, so many industries are affected. Thank you. I'm glad I asked. Now I know. Appreciate that. You're absolutely right. And supply chains are so backed up. I'm trying to get a storm door, one of those with the retractable screen. I think it's been a month I'm waiting. They simply can't get the damn door. I had to wait six weeks for a computer last year. I know. And there was a sign on the Best Buy website. It said, if you're in Durham, North Carolina, don't even think about coming to the store because there's nothing you want within 250 miles. I'm not kidding you. Right on the website. Don't even bother. We're not getting anything soon. Thank you very much. Let's go to Terry Newell's prediction number one. She says there will be an increased need for paved trail systems due to widespread use of electric bikes and scooters. And I know that electric bikes is going to be one of, of Hugh's predictions that we'll do next. So, Terry, let's focus on the paved trail systems. What are we talking about? So I, a couple of years ago, I think it might have been three years ago, my husband and my two children, we went to DC for a trip. And it was right when they had scooters and electric bikes all over the place. It was just all of a sudden the crush of electric scooters. And of course, we rented them, um, probably rode in places we weren't supposed to. We rode on the mall on scooters and it kind of... Um, gave us an awareness of with this being a, you know, hopefully not just a craze, but a new way that we can get around. Where do you belong? Do you mm -hmm. need to go in the street with the cars? If you're on an electric scooter, you're not really supposed to be on the sidewalk. And so there was kind of this, everybody was everywhere they wanted to be. I think electric bikes. Um, we also rode electric bikes while we were there got us able to go long distances without having to, you know, rent a car while we were there. Um, electric bikes and scooters, I think are going to be a great advancement for us in terms of transit. Um, because we usually think of first mile, last mile, that's kind of the distance around a station where people are willing to walk and bike to get to. But if you now have electric scooters and electric bikes, you can start to make that distance farther and farther and stretch 
the choices we have for transportation. So coming back from that trip, and then I don't know how many months later, it was that scooters hit Salt Lake. And it was the same kind of thing. Where do they belong and how are we going to accommodate them? And in the transportation world and planning and building facilities, where are we going to put this use? And it's a great use. How do we now kind of rearrange our systems a little bit to find a space for them? So I think that's probably it. That's the challenge we have ahead of us. And we need to figure out how to find a place that's not on the sidewalk in a downtown area, but also isn't in a lane of traffic you know, with high speed traffic moving along. So um, I don't have an answer to it, how we're going to mm-hmm. do it. I know that it's a challenge for us out there and we need to be thinking about it, working on it. Thank you, Terry. You bring back a, a very short but distant and distant memory of me sitting in my window in my apartment in Great Neck, Long Island, looking out at a desk one day, a bus pulled up. There was a bus stop in front of my co-op building. A woman I happened to know got off the bus. And just at that moment, a bicyclist came down the sidewalk right and knocked her over. She alighted from the bus. The bike came and pow, she was flat on her back. And it wasn't a terrible accident, but it was unfortunate. And that's the question in busy places and Great Neck was busy, where do you bike? Do you go on the Middle Neck Road raceway in front of my building? Everybody left Great Neck Plaza before going to the Old Village. They said, okay, we can just speed up. Whoom! They went from 25 to 50 in a matter of seconds because it was three blocks of freedom. And what was a biker going to do? And there were a lot of bikers there. So thank you. Sorry about memory, but I appreciate that. Hugh, let's go to your prediction. Number one, this is interesting. You say, let's focus more on electric. Electric bikes will eventually dominate the market. And you say improvement in electric bikes, electric scooters, and like are making active transportation much more accessible to a wider range of populations. Hugh, talk to us. Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback a little bit on, on what uh, Terry just said. And, you know, I think uh, what Terry describes is a challenge on where to put uh, these users, these individuals using these devices. Um, we're taking as a challenge because we know there's demand and so many trips are being taken, right? If, if, if people weren't interested in taking those trips, we wouldn't have the same sort of uh, need to figure that out and where to, where to put these folks. <clears throat> but just, you know, anecdotally, um, we got in my family, our first electric cargo bike, like Donna was mentioning about two years ago. And it's a, it's a family cargo bike. It has a big bucket in the front. Um, I can fit my four children on there if I need to and just throw stuff in. And um, my, my wife is not a mountain biker. She's not a road biker. Um, isn't really, wasn't really into biking. <clears throat> and we were a little bit hesitant to, to purchase this, this bike because um, they're not, they're not um, inexpensive. <laughs> um, but as soon as we got it, it was sort of, wow, this is one of the best decisions we've ever made. Really? And, um, and, and I say that because it has replaced so many car trips, so many trips we would have otherwise done in the car, uh, we can now do by bike. And Anytime that the bike is in need of repair or can't be ridden that day, it's, it's a real deflation. We're really sad about not having this bike available. Um, and um, so much so that we've, we've in recent months pur- purchased a second cargo bike, slightly different. But now our whole family at any time can go on in any trip together, you know, um, w- with, our, with our children. And I say this because um, using my thinking about my wife, uh, because electric bikes and technology like this are just opening up the possibilities for so many people to use a bicycle for different Mm -hmm. things. Um, You know, the trails that that Terry mentioned, you go out and there's now, there's so many people who um, 
elderly in age, right, maybe past their physical prime that are out because they're on a, an electric bike and they find this so rewarding that now they can get out and do something that they used to do but thought they wouldn't be able to do anymore, but they can because of this technology. Um, and, and, you know, people that don't hit the gym every day, now all of a sudden they can get on a bike and enjoy all those things we've described as far as being outside and enjoying your environment and have a smile on your face um, because of this technology. And what's great about this, you know, there are some, when bikes, electric bikes were really taking off, <clears throat> um, a lot of folks said, well, what's the point? You know, you're not getting any exercise. Uh, but research has shown um, that people with electric bikes tend to ride uh, farther and more often. And so they are getting uh, quite a bit of physical uh, benefit exercise-wise when they do this. <clears throat> so um, it's just a, it just really opens up so many possibilities for a wide range of folks, even you know, folks that might be differently abled right, physically uh, to get on some of these, these new types of bicycles and, and get out and enjoy them. And you see also from, um, you know, on the manufacturing side, so many businesses now, um, the electrical bicycle market for them is, is bringing huge amounts of revenue and just really um, a, a huge part of their, their strategies going forward. Europe's ahead of us in the U.S., but we're picking up uh, there as well and just seeing there's, there's real demand uh, for these devices. Thank you very much. I have a naive question for you, Hugh, for anybody. What does an electric bike sound like? Does it sound like a motorcycle? Does it sound like a little putt-putt bike? Uh, does it sound quiet? What, what, what is the, the noise impact on your environment? You, you since you have one, what, what, do you, what do you hear? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the ones that we have are pretty quiet. There, there's a hum and uh, the motors are and the technology is getting better all the time. There are a, a vast um, variety of different types of motor technology out there and options that people can retrofit their bikes with. And some are louder than others. Um, so you definitely hear them uh, and some are, some are more pleasant, but not as loud as a motorcycle. Thank you. Anybody else have any comments on the sound of an electric bike? Maria, Terry, Donna, anybody? Nope. Okay. I'm going to move on to Maria Vias. Prediction number two, you say design standards will accommodate more kinds of transportation. Interesting statement. Maria, talk to us. Okay. So for the non-transportation wonks out there, when, when those of us that design transportation facilities decide we're going to build a road or a bike lane or whatever, there's these national guides that we all turn to that everybody agrees. This is the standard for how wide, wide a travel lane is or a turn lane or a or bike lane or whatever. And in the last, I want to say like 15 years, there has been sort of this proliferation of alternative guides to say, okay, um, actually maybe four foot isn't the best width for a bike lane. Maybe we want to have different kinds of bike lanes, like protected bike lanes, separate bike lanes, buffered bike lanes that all have a little bit more of a cushion between where the bikes are and where the cars are. And I think with the, um, with the, um, the, onslaught of e-bikes and scooters and you know people using other kinds of mobility devices we've got to be thinking more about how do those pieces of, of what we call micro mobility at least like small vehicles how do those interact with each other like do, do e-bikes go in the bike lanes or do they go with the cars if they go in the bike lanes do the bike lanes need to be wider so that the e-bikes can pass the non-e-bike people safely and have enough room um, if we have um, mountain bike trails you know Hugh mentioned the the, the folks with the e-bikes, do there need to be trails that are just for non-e-bike users um, 
specifically do we need to separate out those uses so we're making sure that we don't have conflicts between different user groups um, i think the same question applies to the scooters the e-scooters as well do those i mean like salt lake city has a I, I believe they have a ban on using the salt lake the scooters on sidewalks in the central business district so do they belong in the streets do they belong in the bike lane do we then need to have design standards about making sure you don't put manholes in the bike lanes so you don't like throw an unwitting scooter off their little scooter um, and then, you know, things like, um, like if you're a cyclist and you're on a trail and you come up to like a roadway crossing or something, we have these little things called Z gates where you kind of have to go boink, boink, boink and get around these different pieces of metal. The, the intent being to slow people down and make sure that they look at uh, cross street traffic before they cross. But if you've got a cargo bike or if you're pulling a trailer or if you're on a recumbent bike, those kinds where you like sit down and your feet are in front of you, it's very difficult to make it through those kinds of, of, of devices. Donna, I'm looking at prediction number three. Let's go here. Oh, Donna disappeared for a second. Are you with us? Right. There you are. Okay, she's here and then she's not here and she's here again. Uh, prediction number three, Donna, cities and municipalities will invest in the, and that's where I want you to focus on is, is what are the public funding, where this is going to come from, who's going to make the decision. We'll invest in the opening of roads, lane allocations to provide pedestrians. Aha, remember those, the walkers, bikeless and all residents, more access to public space. So let's talk about who makes these decisions, Donna, what do you predict? Um, well, who makes these decisions? These are made at the level of the people that are on this phone call, right? Um, mm -hmm. on, in the municipalities, in, in the counties, in the state. Um, I actually think Terry and Maria and you are probably um, ones who could really provide much more detail here. But again, what we saw during the pandemic with data-driven temporary lane reallocations on local and state roadways to provide pedestrians, bicyclists, and all residents more access to public space and commercial space, different types. Maria just active bicycling transportation by size. And so these temporary lane closures created safe, low stress, family-friendly networks that reduce crowding and gathering points. But there's gotta be some of the people on this panel who are looking at where are these investments going to be made? How are they going to be made? Are they, I mean, right, these are part of infrastructure projects, really. Thank you very much, Donna. Interesting. Let's go to, I, I used to have a show on the future of uh, cities, connected cities. And that's why I was wondering about that. And the question of whose voice is the loudest when it comes to funding and priorities, right? Who gets a say? Who gets the sway? Let's move to Terry's prediction number three. This is interesting. You say building active transportation facilities that link more people to community services, such as jobs, parks, and grocery stores, may prolong and even accelerate the bike boom we experienced during the pandemic lockdown. Terry, take us through this, please. So we've been talking about this a lot in our community and among the people on this call, and it's trying to get people access to where they want to go and not thinking about it just in cars. This is kind of moving. We've all kind of told our initial stories related to recreation and the joy of cycling, and now we're kind of um, thinking more about how do we get people from place to place on bikes and walking, and if we give access to them, um, to stores, to jobs, that's, that's the commute trip, that's a trip they might have taken in a car otherwise. And I think that's where we're evolving to. It's not just about the recreation, it's about how do we make it a really viable piece of our transportation system. And maybe just to talk a little bit about the funding uh, piece of it, 
we have we we this is I'll get the you know the the geeky behind the scenes. We normally build a lot of our projects based on gas tax, and in the past, you know, our ability to use that has been limited to roadways. But what we can do is expand our thought. And when we look at a roadway, we're comprehensive about all the users. We're thinking about the people who bike along it, who walk along it, who have to cross it, and make sure that our design for each corridor has meaning for all the users. And then also our legislature has um, opened up our funding to allow us to fund standalone active transportation projects. And that's been a big change in the last couple of years. And in fact, this last legislative session, they set aside $35 million for us to invest in regional trail systems that are gonna allow us to expand on that ability for people to have other choices besides getting in their vehicle, helps with transit, helps with, and it just helps us have healthy communities, helps people be active and healthy and in the outdoors. So I think we're taking some great steps in Utah, evolving from it being just recreation-based to really being a way to get around. And the important piece is we're willing to start investing in it. Thank you very much, Terry. I, we have time for one more prediction from you and one from Maria. So Hugh, I'm looking at prediction number four. You say the rise in biking and walking trips will coincide with a rise in transit trips. I'm going to let you explain the rest. Hugh. Yeah, thanks. And uh, this is something you know Maria mentioned earlier, is people have more options on how they get around. And Terry was just talking about that. Uh, you know, right now, much of uh, the way we develop our land is, is very auto-centric. Um, and as people start to bike and walk more, there's going to be a need to travel a little bit longer distances. Biking and walking are great for like three miles and one mile. Um, you know, Terry mentioned earlier the, the first last mile um, challenge of getting to transit. But when, when you realize that, oh, if I ride my bike that one mile to the high-frequency, comfortable transit, um, service that's there, it really um, complements and makes that that trip much more feasible. As opposed to, um, this is just not an option because I can hop in my car and it's going to be way faster. <clears throat> but when you start to combine these things and look at them, you know, um, complementary, then then it becomes a real viable choice for people that they can actually say this is an option for me. And so, you know, as as transit can take people a little bit further than they would go uh, biking or walking. Um, it's just going to say, oh yeah, I can do this trip in this manner and I don't need to get in my vehicle to do that. Or, or maybe I can get rid of one vehicle um, in my household and only instead of two, I have one or instead of three, I have two because I can bike to transit, which can get me where I need to go. And then when I get off my transit, I can take my bike and go that ex extra little bit. Um, and it's just very much more practical. Thank you very much. I have a question for you, Hugh, since you're, my, you're one of my experts on electric bikes on this panel. Can you take it apart and put it in the trunk of your car? Not the big one you talked about, but, it, but it, I'll say an everyday person's non-family, non-transport, non-grocery carrying, 10 yeah. bags of groceries. Can you actually put it? Because I know a lot of bikes now I see you can just pop a little thing here and there and you just put the parts in the trunk of even a small car like mine. So Hugh, what's the, what's the portability of a bike? Yeah, absolutely. There, um, <clears throat> there are certainly uh, electric bikes that are foldable electric bikes, and you can pin them down, get them on a, a train or a bus or in the back of a car. If you have an apartment, right, that you don't have a lot of storage space, they fold up really easily and can store that way, haul them upstairs. So there's all sorts of options for people with different lifestyles, and it's certainly not 
just one a group of individuals that can benefit from, from these types of bikes. Thank you very much. Anybody have any other comments about the foldability or portability of electric bikes? We're good. Okay. What a polite panel you've got here, Donna. Okay. Maria, I'm looking at prediction number three, and there's a place I want to go with these to say, we will increasingly build facilities for bikes that are separated from cars, taking cues, and this is where we want to go, taking cues from bike-friendly hubs like Copenhagen or Copenhagen, if you like, and Amsterdam. I only know one way to pronounce that one. Let's talk about those two cities. Maria. Sure. So in a lot of the work that we do with communities, we do a lot of these, um, you know, master plans for communities so that they can think from a citywide perspective about bicycling and walking. And when we survey people in those communities about, you know, what kind of facilities do you feel comfortable riding? They, for the most part, exclusively say, we like, you know, trails and facilities that are separated from the cars. Is it everyone? No, it's not. There's plenty of people that, you know, still feel, feel very comfortable riding in spaces with cars. But a lot I would say a majority of the respondents are like, no, we want to be separated from the cars and, and have our own space. And in some of the work that we're doing, we have some collaborators from um, Denmark and from um, Amsterdam specifically. Uh, there's a firm called Mobicon that we're working on a project in Salt Lake City with. And they have been kind of helping us understand the Dutch design principles and the, the sort of from a basic perspective, it's, you know, fastest users go in the middle of the street. And then as you move out towards the sides, you have the slower and slower users. And so from their perspective, you would always put bikes out, you know, adjacent to the curb, you would never really have them next to the cars. And then like you would, you would not have like um, cars moving, bikes, then parking, you know, then people on the sidewalk put the bikes on the other side of the curb. And this is what we call like a separated bike lane or a protected bike mm -hmm. lane so that they are not adjacent to quickly moving traffic and then making sure that when you are designing intersections, they have as few conflict points as possible with cars that are turning or going straight or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of these kinds of Dutch and Danish design principles that are getting worked into um, cities all across America and North America um, to, to try to make sure that, that we have that more comfortable, safer approach to how people want to walk and bike around their cities. Thank you very much. I have a question. I'm going to sneak in one more prediction from Donna in a second. I have a question for anybody or everybody. I just recently bought, and I'll tell you after the show why, a, uh, we'll call it a fairly high-end, very modern luxury sports car. There is so much technology in it, I'm no longer driving the car. I have a computer on four wheels with a motor, okay? It is taking me so much time to get used to the fact that my speed and the speed limit posted are in the windshield projected ahead of me while I'm driving. I see two numbers. Never in my life. It knows if I don't put the turn signal on, it tells me that I'm crossing too close to the line of a lane. It shows a little wiggling thing in, in the dash. It, it's so tech that I'm spending more time learning the car than actually driving it. So my question is, as bikes evolve into the electric phase, into more technology, are you going to see more... I'm just going to loosely call it bells and whistles on bikes that bikers will have to pay attention to. Or are we going to stay with the idea of I've got two wheels, I've got a couple gears, I've got a handlebar, I've got a light on the back and the front, and I'm riding a bike. Donna, you want to take this one? Where, where are we seeing technology intersecting with bikes or not? Well, we see a lot of technology in terms of data collected. You see it with Strava, right? I mean, whether it's you know, the competition with friends or others or the destinations. Um, so you're seeing some of that being integrated, right? Those are accessories to bikes. You're constantly seeing improvements in design and geometry of bikes, different materials in bikes. Um, we're, you know, seeing 
way out in the future that maybe instead of a drivetrain that involves a pedaling circling motion, we're going to see um, more up and down motion. So mm -hmm. the way in which we propel a bike may change a little bit. Um, so yeah, tech technology drives every industry, right? Either it's materials, it's, um, it, you know, weight distribution on bikes, the, um, the weight of a bike, what you're using that bike for. So we do see the impact of technology. That's where I was going with anybody else want to talk a little bit about the impact of tech on bikes. Terry, what are you seeing? Maria, Hugh, anybody? We have about two minutes left for the conversation. Yeah, Terry, go ahead. I'll, I'll maybe just, I'll, I might take kind of the opposite side of that just very quickly and say my hope is that there's a bike for everybody. The people who want a low tech bike, just get out there and ride a bike. And for the people who are into tech, now we've got something for them that maybe keeps them interested and engaged. So I hope we keep the whole spectrum of bikes. Thank you. Thank you. Hugh, you wanted to comment. Yeah, uh, so, so, there, there are brake systems now on bikes that are anti-lock brake systems, um, just mm -hmm. like a motorcycle. There are systems where you can pull the brake on your bike and your rear taillight turns on so people know you're braking. And so there's all these things that are becoming more technology. You, you can lock your bike with your phone, so it's anti-theft mm -hmm. uh, these days. But, yep. you know, as more as it goes that way, to Terry's point, right, we want to make sure that these, these amazing devices that are so efficient in moving people are accessible to everybody, right, across all livelihoods. And I think that's the amazing thing, right? We all we all have said we have a bike that's sitting in our garage, right, from yeah. 30 years ago and it's still functioning and working. And, and that is an amazing asset um, for families, people, refugees, everybody that's looking to get a, you know, a foothold in society. So we don't Truly. want the industry to move so far out of place that those, those things aren't accessible for folks. Truly, good point. Maria, quickly, I have about 10 seconds. Anything you wanna to add to that? Just wanna smile. <laughs> I, I think we'll just say that as, as autonomous technology comes into vehicles more and more, I hope that they become more and more sensitive to detecting where bicycles and pedestrians are in the environment around them and avoiding hitting them. Wow, you did it in 10 seconds. Bravo. I thought I talked fast. I appreciate that. <laughs> Raise your hands, everybody. A clap, a round of applause for Donna. Donna, you assembled a phenomenally mm. smart, savvy, and engaging panel today. And I appreciate the effort you put into bringing these wonderful people to my show. So I say thank you to you. And individually, I say thank you to Terry, to Hugh, and to Maria for being so present, being so prepared, being so interesting, and sharing your knowledge and insights with me and my listeners around the world. I want to say thank you to Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire. He started out working with me three years ago when he was 18 years old. Now he's 92. Yes, I, I demand a lot of my engineers. Thank you to Ryan Treasured Voice America, my, my colleague and uh, my co-producer. He, he lets me do all the work, but he's still my co-producer. So there we go. And I want to have a message from my listeners. Thank you to LinkedIn for watching. Thank you to people on Facebook for watching. Thank you to Voice America Business Channel. And here's my call to action. This is technology, the future of now, technology revolution. But remember, Terry, Maria, Donna, Hugh, if somebody says to you, the future is already here, I want you to raise that finger and wag it at them and say, no, 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 that was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet. And we're all going to do our best to make it a better one. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. 